As I publish this episode, the year 2020 threatens all our lifeboats. But I found someone who knows how to navigate rough personal and career waters. Motivational speaker Michael Arterberry has made the trip from zero to hero. Among other things, he has this incredible story about this donkey. Oh, just listen up and be encouraged. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. I can fix you, I can teach you. All right. So, Michael, welcome to All Things Vocal. I'm so glad you could be with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here and spend this time with you. Yes. Okay. I want to start right away with how you became the motivational speaker that you are. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I think of motivational speakers as just spouting a lot of Pollyanna stuff that doesn't really work and just positive thinking with, with no basis to it. You are not like that. I've watched some of your videos right. and some of your your presentations, and so I'm really interested. What got you into this journey of being a motivational speaker? All right. So um, the best way I can really set this up is I want to tell you a story, all right? And the story is very consistent with unraveling who I am and what drove me to be a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. And so the story is about a, a donkey and a farmer, okay? And so this, this donkey is the farmer, one of the farmer's favorite farm animals because once he finishes working with the donkey on the field, he brings the donkey back to his home and he allows the donkey to play with his kids. You know, um, they come out the house, they come running and they pet him and they wash him and he lets them ride him. And then, you know, right around dinner time. You know, he smacks him on the butt and he sends him back out in the farm and they go inside and they they prepare for dinner and for bed. One night they do the regular uh, ritual. And uh, when he came out the following morning, he the donkey didn't come when he whistled. So when he realized he didn't come, he's like, wow, I want to find my donkey. So he starts walking around the farm, calling his name. And he finally realizes that he's at the bottom of an empty water well. During the night, he stumbled into an empty water well, and of course he couldn't get himself out, so he's making donkey noises. So the farmer comes over to the well, and he looks in, and he decides he wants to pull him out, get him out. And he goes and gets six of his friends. They come over to the well, they look in, and they say, how are we going to get him out the well? So one of his buddies said, you know what, let's get some rope so we can pull him out. So they go get some rope, and they start throwing the rope down. They throw it down, they miss. They throw it down, they miss. They throw it down and get it around his neck. They don't want to pull that one because that'll choke him. So they loosen it up. They finally throw it by his hind legs. He steps into the rope. They shimmy it up his body and they start pulling. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. They pull the donkey moves. Then halfway up the well, they realize that the donkey's too heavy. So they lower him back to the bottom of the well. And now they have to make a grim decision. See, the farmer can't feed the donkey food for his family at the bottom of the well because that doesn't make sense. He also feels like he can't starve him because, like I said in the beginning, he's more like a pet. One of his hot-headed friends says, you know what, let's just shoot him. And he's like, no, that's too violent. So one of his more reasonable friends says, you know what, you don't want your kids to fall into the well. So we're going to get some shovels and we're going to shovel and cover them with dirt. 
Now, you're going to have to sacrifice your donkey, but your kids won't fall into the well. And so the farmer felt like he could deal with that. So they all got shovels and they started shoveling dirt into the well. Every time that dirt hit the donkey, the donkey would scream. Every time he screamed, he would cause its farmer some distress. Dirt, scream, dirt, scream, dirt, scream. Then all of a sudden, the scream stopped. Once the scream stopped, they gave the donkey a moment of silence, but they had to continue to do the work. They continue shoveling, they continue shoveling. The next thing you know, you see the donkey's right ear. They start <laughs> shoveling cartoon style. The next thing you know, you see half the donkey's body. They keep shoveling and shoveling. And the next thing you know, that donkey walks right out of the well <laughs> that he fell into. Wow. So check this out. Yeah, let's, so check this out, Judy. When you talk about me and motivational speaking and what it what inspires and motivates mm -hmm. me, every time that dirt came across the wall, it would fall on the donkey's back. He would shake it off and he would step on it. He took every scoop of dirt that was meant to kill him to save his life. What motivates me to be a motivational speaker is I've been able to take my dirt. I've been able to shake off my dirt. I've been able to step on it and walk out of my well. And my passion is rooted in wanting to see other people accomplish the same. You know, just quickly, some of my dirt is, uh, I had an alcoholic dad and he was a raging alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So when I, I put the, the raging there because you have to understand that he died when I was 16, but this man raged until the day he was buried. And so I lived a very unbalanced life. I remember a story of being a kindergartner and looking at the other kids playing with blocks. And I'm looking at them and I realized my innocence as a kindergartner. But all I can think about is what kind of night I was going to have when I got home. And I'm saying to myself, am, like the, am I the only one in the class that's feeling this way? Or is it just something normal? You know, um, I lived in poverty. My mom was a housekeeper. She cleaned people's home. And my dad was a bus driver, but his money went to the streets and went to the alcohol. So she raised four kids on one salary, even though there were two people living in the home. So, you know, I grew up, I didn't have much. And that is the root and just the catalyst. You know, I could go in deeper, but, you know, there's, there's a incredible. lot more. Yeah. you know, that, you know, dysfunctional with a capital yeah. D. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, yeah. you know what, here's what I believe. <clears throat> I believe that everybody, almost a hundred percent of everybody has their own story of family of origin dysfunction. And even if it comes from the grandparents yes, and the parents overcame it or whatever, there's still the root back there. And so we get to choose. Yeah. We either are going to allow it to tell us that we can be dysfunctional too, because why not? Everybody else is, and our, my parents were. Or like you say, we can actually use it. But I, it helps a lot to see someone else with authority like you have to be able to say, yes, you can. Right. Your instincts may be that you might be able to use your life and actually do something with it. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can. I've got my own family of dysfunction. Yeah. You know, you're raised that with that. And there's all this dealing with reality with, with just 
911 coping mechanisms instead of coping mechanisms <laughs> that can actually help you live a happy life, right? And yeah, the reason yeah, I yeah. wanted you on, that's just, just a fa- fabulous story and an incredible analogy with the donkey. Uh, it's just incredible. That story will stick yeah. with me forever. But uh, I, I think of God sometimes as the great compost maker. If we yes. allow God to do it, he takes the dirt, the waste of our lives, and turns it into fertilizer not only for our own lives, but just like you, for other people's lives. Yes. You say, be encouraged. And I've, I've noticed that that's kind of your byline. How did you come up with that for a concise uh, admonishment? Well, you know, it's consistent with another uh, thought process or or something that I like to teach. And I, I, I teach uh, living a conscious life. You know, and I I like to really get people to understand that. And what I mean by that is sometimes a person doesn't want you to solve their problem. Mm -hmm. All they want is acknowledgement. All they want is for you to acknowledge that they have something going on. They don't want you to, to take it and pick it apart. So the words be encouraged are simple, fast and quick where you can zap someone with it, they can take it and they can customize it and allow it to fit their situation rather than being specific, you know? So I I feel like that's that's a powerful set of words. That makes a ton of sense because I've found as a vocal coach myself that teaching is always a two-sided affair. It's a team effort. And all I'm really doing is pulling out of the student the voice they have and you're pulling out of people's lives the possibilities they have and the coping mechanisms you're they don't even know they've got them it's almost like the wizard of oz which dorothy clicks her heels finally and was able to go back home she always could do it but she just didn't know she could yes Right, right. Yes, definitely, definitely. So when you have a a tag like that, like you said, you see it quite often, um, subliminally, it brings you a message. So there's times where, you know, you'll maybe see my face in your head and then you'll say, oh, right, right. That's right, Mike. You know, in my groups with the kids, we do adjective names. They call me Mighty (laughs) Mike. And um, yeah, yeah, that's my adjective name. And, you know, when, when they come back, They'll tell me if I speak to them 10 years down the road, they're like, you know, Mighty Mike, I remember what you said. Um, they hold on to the shake the dirt term. So, you know, they'll talk about that in specifics. So, yeah, be encouraged is something that I want people to associate with who I am as a person. I also found this on your website, this, uh, this sentence, short-term thinkers plant gardens, long-term thinkers plant trees. Eternity-minded thinkers plant themselves in the souls of others. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. So let me walk that out for you, Judy. First and foremost, the fact that you brought God into this conversation (laughs) very early. You know, yeah, 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 you know. You have to be so careful. So, you know, for you to give me the platform to be able, you know, I I work in secular environments or, you know, um, places of faith. So I have to be very delicate. So you read that to me, I can really give you the real answer rather than, you know, uh, candy coating it. Yeah, but, you are uh, a minister. Being a man you, of- you are a minister, yes. Thank you, thank you. So um, being a man of faith, 
I, I, I don't know if I read a book or she was speaking, but a woman talked about how when she left a room, she would want people to sniff and say, God was here. <laughs> and when she said that, it, it melted me, Judy. And so, you know, when I wrote that, I, wrote, I write that with the thought that anytime that I leave a place, I want to plant that seed. I want you to, and say he was here. You know, I, I, I heard a worship song. If you were looking for him, I hope you find him in me. And so sometimes we may be the closest thing that some people will get to God. So that eternity-minded thinker piece is, is me walking the earth in a Christ-like form. And I want to leave that with people as I meet and, and make relationships. Right. I think it's so important to realize that it takes, uh, it takes a village. We are not God, but we can be part of God. And however people understand that term, but they're, you know, that, that they're not alone, that they have a source. Uh, yeah. and, and sometimes they need to see the source in someone else that has, as you say, shaken the dirt. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, how how is it to work with kids? Uh, that's kind of what you've chosen to focus on, even though I know that you counsel adults as well. But your your main focus has, has been youth. Uh, what are your frustrations right. with them, or the what are the joys that you particularly have in your ministry with them? Well, you know, um, teachers must always be students. Yes. So the, the enjoyment that I get is the fact that even though I'm going to teach on a regular basis, you know, I learn and I learn so much. So I never go in with the attitude that I know everything. I always go in open, you know, and they're, they're, they're always able to really teach me things. Um, along with that, you know, some of the frustrations that I have is the fact that I'm getting a teenager who's been living quite some time and they've been in sometimes just like we talked about our own dysfunctional situations, they've been in their own. So what you're able to do, I have them, my program that I do in schools, I have them for uh, two full days. So the schools actually allow me to have them for two full days. So it's pretty intense. And I do interactive activities with them over the two days. Because it takes time, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You to gain their trust yeah. and them to feel free. Right. Yeah, yeah, to talk about it. You know, just real quickly, you know, when you talk about them being able to see the, the dirt shaking, um, I show a picture of the house that I grew up in to open up my groups. I tell the donkey story, but then I show a picture of the house. Now, if you see the house I grew up in, it looks condemned. There's boards on the window. I talk about winters without heat. And then I show them the house that I live in now. I live in a nice raised ranch in a beautiful community. And so I show them where I started, but where I'm at now. So as a teenager, like you said, they're able to see that there is a path if you decide to make it. But the frustration is being able to get in the mind of a young person, motivate them and make them want to be successful. And then having them get to a point where my information can't override the system that they already have. You know, I always talk about when I teach, even with my adults, is that we create systems around our mm -hmm. dysfunction. 
So anytime someone wants you to step outside of your system, oh, it's it's terrifying. You know, I had a girl that I mentored and um, four generations, nobody ever graduated high school, Judy. Four generations, no high school graduates. And I grab her at ninth grade and I mentor her straight through and she graduates. But my goal is for her to go to mm -hmm. college. But in her mind, once she graduated high school, she was done. <laughs> and so, yeah, we fought. That was a frustration. We fought. And she ended up running off to Florida with a, a girlfriend, a partner, and not pursuing college. And she emailed me six months down the road. And all I told her was to read the email she sent me because she sounded just like us, just like her situation she came from. <laughs> I said, just read it. I said, I'm not going to lecture you. I said, just read the message you sent me. And that's your lesson. I told you, you know, so, you know, the frustration is, is, you know, I don't like to use animals as people, but you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> yes, but you can, if they let you, that's the secret, isn't it? Yeah. If yeah. they let you. Right. Yeah. Right. I've noticed when I teach teenagers, which I do a lot with the, being a vocal coach, mm -hmm. sometimes it's the ones who seem the least teachable that can become the most teachable if they learn that they can trust you. Yeah, That's yeah. funny how that, that works. All right, let's move from teenagers to professional vocalists now, okay? okay. Yeah. <laughs> because it. they have fear as well, especially right. in this season of this crazy COVID pandemic yeah. when all of the concert halls are shut down mm -hmm. and the normal places that they make a living are no more. What tips, you know, it's the same starting over place that you find yourself in coming from all kinds of dysfunctional lives or, right. or when something happens to the life that was so easy and safe and all of a sudden somebody dies or somebody leaves or somebody, you know, something happens that it is no longer safe. What tips have you learned in life that professional vocalists, singers and speakers can uh, use to navigate this terrible interruption in their career paths. Let me tell you something. I've practiced it before this, but my advice to anyone, anyone is self-reflection. Mm -hmm. See, when you talk about God and, and you talk about how he speaks to us, you know, that oftentimes, you know, you hate that he has to stop you to speak to you. It's good that you hear him where you can keep moving, but sometimes he will create space in your life to say, you know what? You don't want to stop and listen. So I'm going to put a situation in your life where you have to. So rather than looking at this as a, a punishment, you have to look at it as a time of reflection and see when you reflect, you know, that's why when I talk about dirt, the reason why I'm able to be a powerful speaker is because I've gone back and I've dealt with all that stuff, Judy. Mm -hmm. So when I, when, when I walk into a room, if you walk into a room and you're still wounded, I can't help you if I'm still wounded. I have to be able to heal or have, have dealt with it. So the power is being able to know who you are as a person. And this time is, is perfect time to do that. You know, with me talking to you right now, on this podcast is because of self-reflection. You know, I, I work in schools. I can't go into schools. So as I, I, I self-reflected, I said, you know what? How can I get my message out? There you go. 
yeah, I found people who I felt were in my realm and my essence and I'm getting on. And you know, what's interesting, you're a vocal coach. Yesterday I spoke to a, an artist the day before I spoke to a, a high school teacher. Next week, I'm speaking to a woman that works with blended families. I mean, wow. I'm on so many different platforms, <laughs> but this is something that I never would have even ventured towards if it wasn't for the coronavirus. What I've come to see in my life is that every brick wall I come up against is, yes. that's actually a turning signal. That's a turn signal. Yeah. And we wouldn't yes. even, we would, we never change unless it gets too uncomfortable not to change. Uh, we yes. never explore, I'm on a need to know basis, you know, <laughs> and if we don't need to know, we a lot of times just stick with, you know, the known, but if we yeah. face the brick wall, we're going to have to make a turn and see what's down that rabbit hole. And sometimes yeah. we find the most amazing things. Oh yes. Oh yes. Big time, big time. Always, always. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Always. People don't like leaving their comfort zones and I, I call it living a very colorless life. Mm -hmm. My life has been very colorful. I was fortunate enough in that that dysfunctional home. I went to school out of my district. So my dad drove a bus in an affluent district, almost like a prep school. And for me not to have a babysitter, I had to go to the school where he drove the bus. So I was exposed on a daily basis to a life that wasn't consistent with where I lived. Yeah. And it, it it gave me the desire to want more, and it was out of my comfort zone. But it gave me a nice a nice baseline of what to strive for and and be hungry for. I think when it comes to speakers and singers of all kinds, it feeds the message. It's not that you want to go through hard times. It's not that the hard times don't hurt, uh, and they're scary, and you know fraught with danger. But if we allow ourselves to be helped. There's always a way out, isn't there? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And always a lesson. And always, There's always a, lesson. a lesson. Yes, yeah. definitely. Well, um, I believe, and we've talked about this just a little bit already, but I believe all mentors and teachers should have their own mentors and teachers. To whom do you stay accountable? Listen, let me tell you something. And <laughs> and my pastor would be, he, he may be a little upset with this, but maybe not because I'm straight up with him. My <laughs> mentor. And if I ever met him, I would let him know um, it's Bishop T D Jakes. Oh, okay. That man is is I love him. I love him. What is it that, that makes you so drawn to him? He's real. And I and I tell this to people all the time. I'm Christian, I'm a man of faith. But if you catch me on the wrong day, I may be cussing like a sailor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just re reality. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, I'm human. And so, yeah. you know, so many people, when you talk about being faithful and, and going to church, they create this facade and they pretend like they were always like that. No, we were we were different people. And that's why God is so important, because you are a changed person. But, you know, I was I, I became Christian when I was like 25. So I lived 25 years of my life as a as a, a man of the world. And that's what I get from him is that when he when he preaches, he doesn't try to stand up there and pretend like he was once or he was always this altar boy. No, he lets you know, listen, I was out there in the streets. I was doing it. So 
I, I get authenticity. Mm -hmm. You know who else I, I get it from is Reverend Barber. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he is all about uh, social justice. Okay, right. And I love him. But I bet you also have some, maybe somebody in your family that you stay accountable to as well and keep it real. <laughs> you know what? Let me tell you. Oh, my God. <laughs> my mom. Yeah. My mom. I think the, the best is my mom because I'm her baby and I always want to do my mother proud. You know, I strive to really have her be able to have those moments you know, where she's able to say, yo, my baby boy, he did this or he did that. But um, as far as mentors, you know, I, I played sports growing up and I had coaches that mm -hmm. were good models. But, you know, you always would have that. And I, I wish I had it. Like I could say that man that kind of pulled me close and made me feel like his son. But, you know, I didn't have it. I, you know, I, I had a mother who loved big enough, though, that I, I felt nurtured even though i didn't have like that figure in my life she was it yeah yeah i i tell you what it doesn't take but one mm -hmm. i think uh it doesn't take but one and so i think part of any teacher's job in the world is to at least be the one at yeah. least be be one that uh that the person can look back and say okay i saw something there because i'm quite allergic to churches i'm allergic to you know, people pontificating on, on stuff, but, but be real with me yeah. because I, because I've experienced it and I can, I can sense it in you that yeah. you, you're speaking from experience. Yeah. Well, Michael, what are your side pleasures and your hobbies and things that you use to feed your own soul? Maybe that don't have anything to do with your day job. Um, you know, I, I had a, a spinal cord injury. Ah. Yeah, yeah, but it, it limit. It, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm good, but uh, good. golf. I like to play golf. Golf? Yeah. My husband's a golfer. I always wanted to play well enough that if anyone asked me to play, I could say yes. Like in the beginning when someone asked, you're like, oh, I don't know if I could go. <laughs> you know, with, with golf etiquette, you know, you you know, you know, don't want to slow anybody down. So golf is one. Um I rode a motorcycle for the longest with two wheels, but since my surgery, my balance is a little off. So I now have one of these new futuristic motorcycles where it has the two wheels in the front and one in the back. They call it a Can-Am Spider. So I like to get out on wow. that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty um, funky looking. It looks like a snowmobile on wheels. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great. Yep. So I, I, ride, I ride my motorcycle and I'm a gym rat. I am a gym rat. Cool. Yeah, I work out seven days a week, twice a day. The body's connected to the spirit, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. If I can't work out, I, I don't feel as good in my head, not to mention my body. But I also think it's really, really healthy for voices uh, of all kinds. Uh, people that do this, this professionally are usually really, really focused. But I think it's so important to be well-rounded yeah. and have other things in your life and also other people that don't necessarily have anything to do with your day job. I think that keeps us... I don't know. It keeps us grounded and, yes. and uh, well-rounded and yeah. it just makes us better at our day job eventually too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you in your work? Wow. Wow. So here, here we go. I saw that you had asked me this question <laughs> and, and I, I tried to pick my brain. So I'm going to use one where my, my family, they'll get a, 
tickled from this. They always laugh at me because my pants, you know, like a, a, the dad, like plumbers, you know, so like my pants uh-huh. always, yeah, yeah. So they always, dad, dad, pick up your pants, pick up your pants. So one day I'm, I'm leaving a workshop and, you know, because of my spinal injury, if I have a scooter, a motorized scooter that's uh, I can dismantle and put in and out of my truck. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm putting the, the scooter into my truck and I'm, I'm looking at two teenage boys kind of looking at me and laughing, you know, they're laughing and they're looking at me. So I'm not paying any mind. I'm putting the scooter in. And Judy, when I get in the car, my pants are like almost to my, my niece. So I'm wondering <laughs> to myself, I don't know how far they were actually down while I was putting the scooter in the car. And oh so, my yeah, And so I returned there the next day. So the, the only thing on my mind, which shouldn't have been, is wow, were those guys laughing at me? So it was hilarious, you know. It was. Oh man, check your pulse. You are human, mighty yeah, mighty. Yeah, I am. I am. I am. I, so now oh. I, I, I double check, make sure you know the belt is tight and everything. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what story when you when you maybe run into a, a slew of difficult cases that you've been having trouble with and and you're afraid for them that they're not going to quite get the message as soon as you'd like for them to. Uh-huh. What is a story? And I know you must have a bunch of them, but something that just keeps you going. Yeah, I have a young man who I mentored my first job out of college. So I went and I have a social work degree. And my my first job out of college, I worked at a foster care agency, and I worked in uh with group home kids, kids that are in the the system, and uh, I found out that if you went to college and you were in the system, that they had to pay for your room and board, no matter where you went to college. So when I huh. yeah, uh-huh. and they wouldn't tell the boys that, which I found out. And once I found that out, because I worked with kids in the inner city. I would push them, even if they went to school for a semester, I, in my mind, I would call it like vacation so that they can just get away from the environment. So I wow. started to, yeah. yeah. So I, I started to promote it in my group homes and kids started to buy on and they were all going off to college. And I had one kid, his name was Tone and, um, we got him into a culinary arts school. He did two years there, graduated wasn't finished with education. He went off to a four-year school and got his bachelor's degree in business administration. And then he went on and got his master's degree. You know what I mean? Wow. And and we stayed so connected that just if he's older now, but when he got, he's, he's on his second marriage too. But anyway, when he got married, the first, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he got married the first time, um, he asked me to be the best man in his wedding. You know, oh, yeah. so we we still stay in contact and he is one of my success stories. And one thing to show you his resilience is he lived in Brooklyn. That's like the inner city. Mm-hmm. And um, he was smart enough as a child when his mother would throw him out on the streets that he didn't want to be like sleeping on the streets. He would ride the subways all night, Judy. Oh, wow. Yeah, just so that he wouldn't be in the danger of the streets. So this kid was really built in a way that he was able to maneuver and he's doing really well for himself now. You know, back in those days when he was riding the subway all night, he could have never dreamed of the future that he ended up actually having, right? Yeah. I find that 
attitude and what we believe is possible actually literally changes reality. Oh, yes. And so, Michael, I want to say thank you for all of the lives that you're changing. Thank you for being part of a of the voice of God, and uh, which is I, I believe that people like you are. And thank you for reaching out, man. I, I think these days all of us can use that because we have no idea what the future is going to hold for the music business, for uh, the speaking business. One last question before I ask you the very last question. What do you do for your voice? What do you do when your voice is feeling a little funky? You know, when you said mind, body, and soul, believe it or not, I think it's it's indirectly. I think your voice is connected to your balance and your center. You see what I'm saying? So I make sure that- mm-hmm, I do. I do because your posture is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way you use your face yeah. is different. Yeah. Uh, if you are not quite believing your own <laughs> message, you're going to be shut down a little bit and- Physically, it doesn't, it's it's not the way the voice works optimally. Yeah. So you, I see you doing this. Yeah. You're using your face, you're using your eyes. Uh, your throat is more open because of that. Right. And you're powering your voice from your core because you believe what you're saying. Yeah. So it's it's funny. Performance, which I think of as communication, goes along with uh, the way you breathe, the way your throat is open or not. And so it's synergistic with the rest of it. That's really an interesting answer, Michael. That's that's awesome. Yeah. All right. And the last thing, what have you got that you're working on next and where can we find you? Okay. So what I'm working on next is there's a few things. The first thing that I've already put together, again, when we talk about self-reflection, is I put together an online course. It's an 11-week course that I titled it, it's called Shake the Dirt Experience, thinking about the donkey, um, Shake the Dirt Experience. And what I do is I, I walk you through your life story. And what I do is I allow you to see the landmines that you may have stepped on and see that there's been some damage, but you didn't realize that there was damage and you're carrying that on into your future life. And so over the 11-week period, you get a time and a chance to reflect on that. So they can go to shakethedirtexperience.com, and they can register for the course there. So I'm doing the course, as well as the course, which I can't do now with Corona, is I'm going to do Shake the Dirt Experience, um, where you can come live. Yeah, you can come and spend two days with me. I'm going to have that um, like at a hotel and they can come in and we'll we'll do the experience in person. Wow. And then, uh, you know, more podcasts I'm going to be on. What I'm trying to do as well is I do assemblies with high schools and middle schools during the mm-hmm. school year. And I've been trying to do it virtually during this time. So to bring my message, um, Zoom or Squadcast type virtual experiences where I speak to student bodies to inspire them. All right, so where do we where do we go online to find you and and find all this stuff? Okay, michaelarterberry.com, which is my public speaking platform. Um, my nonprofit is youthvoicescenter.org. That's with the youth. My LinkedIn and Facebook is just my name, Michael Arterberry. Well, thank you, Michael, for joining us on All Things Vocal. And uh, boy, I just wish you the very best in all of your work. And I hope you keep in touch because I'd love to watch what you're doing out there. 
Yes, I definitely will. Let's keep in touch. And if things come up and we want to conversate again, just definitely let's connect. Awesome. This is Judy Rodman, and you can always find me at www.judyrodman.com. If you value this podcast, please rate it and review it at ratethispodcast.com slash ATV. Thank you. See you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers. Stay safe and be encouraged. <laughs>